Welcome to the Bear Essentials Podcast, where the talk is real and hibernating on your goals is not an option. Hey everyone, thanks for joining. I am your host, Charles Wallace. Today's guest's journey to becoming a healing professional began prior to him entering nurse practitioner school. He didn't realize it at the time, but his undergraduate education would set him on a path of service. His original aim was to obtain a degree in business. However, while in college, the school's focus on social justice and service of others pushed him in a different direction. His professors offered him a broader perspective on the world and many volunteer opportunities helped solidify his purpose in life to teach and help others. With that, it is my pleasure to introduce author of the book, The Mental Wellness Diet, Justin Bethany. Hi, Justin. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, really appreciate it, Justin. And can't wait to uh, speak to you about your book and your practice. Um, Obviously, I probably didn't do it justice. I'm going to allow you to give you a brief introduction to the audience. Great. Well, you know, I uh, thanks for going back. You probably got that off my website. Uh, the bio that I wrote about my career path. <clears throat> you know, many nurse practitioners are uh, quote unquote career changers. So people who had success in one field or another, uh, no, nothing in medicine or science, and then decide they really want to help others. And then they're too old to become a doctor. So you go and become a nurse practitioner. So that was my path. Um, I went to Villanova, <clears throat> right down the street from where you are. And uh, yeah, the, the school was really um, focused on social justice and uh, there's a lot of volunteer opportunities. And, uh, you know, they focused on the core humanities and it was a really well-rounded education. Um, when I, my, my degree was in business management. So my first couple jobs were cold calling, which was not, not the kind of job you want for somebody who has uh, compassion or feeling or empathy. You know, it was, uh, it was a tough, that was, that was an education in and of itself. So then, um, you know, if you want to go back into my story. So then I moved to California after I graduated and uh, couldn't really find any work, was running out of money and then decided to just do what I've always done. And I used to teach uh, swim lessons to kids and uh, taught bas- coach basketball and taught and things like that. So then I worked at this um, facility that was for kids with uh, special needs, emotional and behavioral difficulties. So that job, uh, my first job out of college, earned just a little over $20,000 a year. It's pretty modest, but uh, it was the best first job I could have gotten because it really connected to you know, my unique talents and my interests, and uh, it gave me a bit more of a purpose. And so that job led to another job in a similar kind of field, another job to finally get into nursing school. By the time I was 27, and then, um, you know, when you go into nursing school, you have to pick your specialty. And so my specialty uh, from the start was uh, psych mental health. So then uh, I graduated and um, you know, it was in school when I uh, started learning about functional medicine. So I was learning about functional medicine and uh, at the same time being taught all the conventional medicine principles. And uh, so that was, you know, kind of a challenge to stitch it all together, but I eventually did. And then, um, you know, as soon as I started practicing, you know, from the beginning, I, I was thinking about incorporating sleep, diet, exercise, supplements here and there. And, um, you know, just kind of taking a different look at the patient, uh, looking at them as a whole person. 
So I've been practicing about 10 years. And then it was about maybe two or three years ago, I got the idea to write the book. That's great stuff. And Justin, honestly, when I was, uh, what intrigued me about and made me really want to talk to you besides the book was the whole functional medicine. Right. And I think, I think functional medicine as a term, we're, we're starting to hear more, more about that. We're hearing about it more often. Could you maybe talk a little bit how that compares to what I'll call the traditional or conventional care model for patients? Yeah, you know, uh, one great way to break it down is the, the difference between uh, acute care and chronic care or uh, acute issues and chronic conditions. So things like diabetes or heart disease, um, being overweight, uh, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, these are all chronic conditions. Um, no one day is worse than the other. Typically, it's just chronically getting worse and worse over time. But you, you're not going to die from it typically on any given day. Then there's acute illness. And acute, for acute illness, uh, conventional medicine, which would be the, the kind of medical approach you would see in an emergency room or urgent care or even in, I guess, your primary care's office is, uh, is amazing. You know, if you have, um, you cut off your finger or break your arm, or if you're having a heart attack or, you know, some sort of medical crisis, you're having an acute illness. And so the medical model, the conventional medical model is designed around uh, very effectively and swiftly addressing, identifying and addressing and fixing acute illness. They're not that the conventional medicine isn't so terrible at chronic illness, but, um, you know, if, uh, if you cut your arm off with a chainsaw, there was one factor that caused that disease. If you have diabetes, there's probably five or six factors that cause that disease. And so functional medicine takes, takes a broader perspective on chronic care. And it looks at what can we do to prevent and what can we do to reverse and it's typically not just one thing. It's typically not just a pill here or a surgery here. It's uh, diet, sleep, exercise, stress management, maybe even some forms of spirituality, you know, looking at the whole person. Yeah. And Justin, what the reason why it really interested me was I, years ago, three years ago now, I was very overweight i was at like 267 pounds 200 i was way out there and i was i was on medications you know for my heart i was having these weird chest like weird things were going on i finally went to somebody recommended me to see a cardiologist and he had more of a functional kind of medicine approach and i i love the way he spoke to me the office visit took about 45 minutes the way he spoke to me and literally just set me straight with listen like i could keep you on medication for as long as your body's going to hold out or we can talk about the changes you need to make in order to get off this medicine and it was from that point that i was you know i'm happy to say now i'm you know i'm definitely probably in the best shape i've been in probably since my 20s and I haven't been on medication for two and a half years. So that's why I like what you said. I, I think we need more of that. Um, and I can only I really appreciate people like you who are taking that approach. So that being said, what because I don't think this is easy in any way. What made you decide to write the mental wellness diet? 
Well, that, that moment you just described, um, you have know, practicing 10 years, probably worked in maybe four or five different clinics, maybe probably seen a, a couple thousand different patients. You know, across those couple thousand different patients, uh, I've met everybody uh, along all the different stages of readiness to change. You know, when you, when you met with that cardiologist, he, he caught you, he probably caught you at a good moment and he was also a great doctor and he was gonna stick it to you. You got choice A or choice B, what do you wanna do? And so life-changing, obviously. Um, you know, not everybody is ready. You know, uh, so, so when I meet them in the office, you know, I can only hold so many patients. And when I meet them, you know, maybe they're not ready for, you know, I always rank uh, changing somebody's diet right underneath changing their politics or their religion. You know, the way we eat is really so personal. And, um, you know, actually, so the, my book doesn't actually come up when I treat patients that much until they, they ask me or they're ready for it or they, they ask about diet specifically. They don't give it to them. But uh, so I wrote this book to try to meet people in that same moment you were in when you met with that cardiologist. You know, when people are ready, I want them to have the information that's going to, you know, give them the best chance at making the change when they're ready to make the change and change it. Yeah, it's funny, too. You described it as meeting me at the best moment or the right moment. And I say to people all the time, it's it, it really takes you being at your absolute worst moment sometimes for it to be your best moment. And I I'm just grateful to that doctor and people like him and like you. Um, so interesting. This is something I've been doing more research myself about. And I think in general, we think a lot about when we think of food, we think about how it impacts us physically, right? Our weight, the way we look, you know, that kind of thing. I, I don't think people really consider, I know I wasn't right. I don't think people really consider how food impacts our brains from just a nutrition perspective. So in your research, writing the book, what, and it might sound basic, right? But what do our brains need to ensure that they are performing optimally as far great, as food? Great question. And, you know, um, that's a great setup for the question too, because, you know, even psychiatry had been dealing with this forever, um, for centuries, the, the separation between the mind and the body. You know, if, if you don't eat well, you're not going to uh, perform well in running the marathon. That's very commonsensical. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I can't even count how many adolescent patients I have that don't eat breakfast and don't eat lunch and, you know, push it really hard in school and then, you know, are seeking some sort of assistance or some sort of edge. How about breakfast? You know, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't always compute for us naturally. Uh, so what the, what the brain needs, well, you know, our mind is maybe separate from the body, but our brain is not, our brain is within the body. It's part of the body. It gets fed nutrients from the body. So whatever we eat, which goes into our digestive system and we absorb, you know, the bloodstream will bring those nutrients to the body. So what do we need? We need uh, vitamins. It's pretty commonsensical. Uh, minerals. Minerals are actually really important. Uh, amino acids, which comes from proteins. So proteins uh, can be into smaller parts called peptides. And then those peptides, the smallest unit of a protein is an amino acid. And those unique amino acids are actually the building blocks for neurotransmitters. You know, the communication molecules that help us feel and think and remember and perceive. So uh, experiencing life depends on, in, essentially it depends on uh, those amino acids and those proteins. Uh, and then 
healthy fats are really important. The brain is uh, a large percentage fat, much more than any other organ. So you need that fat to create that structure. You need the structure to be there in place to have the brain function optimally. You know, if you're, if you didn't build your house appropriately, it, you know, it would fall apart. It wouldn't function. So the same is true of the brain. You know, I think I'll, I'll end with, with this question with, um, what these nutrients do is many of the vitamins and minerals anyways, is they, uh, they accelerate natural metabolic processes. So the accelerator in a body typically is an enzyme. An enzyme converts one substance into a different substance that's similar, but just a different form. Then when it's in a different form, it can do a different job or it can serve a different function. And those uh, vitamins and minerals often serve as they plug into the enzyme and help the enzyme speed up the process. So if you want to feel and function at your best, obviously you want your engine running as, as smoothly and efficiently as fast as possible. And vitamins and minerals are the thing that, that you know, turn the gears in the brain. Thanks for that, Justin. So just a slight follow-up on that, because I think this is a question people, I, I think it's an, an age-old question. So when it comes to that, right, I think is a pick-me-up you mentioned, like breakfast, right? Coffee, caffeine, mm. yay or nay? As far as sure. Yeah, you know, um, is, is a, it could go a couple different ways with this question, but um, if, you know, if you've been drinking coffee for a while, you're probably adapted to it. You know, I'm, uh, I'm 41. I wrote a book. I got two young kids. Coffee doesn't work for me anymore. So it doesn't really matter. Doesn't, it matters if I don't drink it, but it doesn't matter if I drink extra. I guess uh, if you've never drinking coffee or if you haven't had it in a while, it, um, it will probably be fairly strong. You know, um, the, the way that coffee works is there's this molecule called adenosine that builds up in the brain and it uh, blocks adenosine from interacting with the receptor. So it kind of tricks the brain into not feeling that sleep pressure. You know, it, it, it can be overused. It's like the number one drug, the, you know, the number one most consumed substance drug in the world. It, it, when you need it, it, it can turn things on. Uh, it can turn on your alertness. It can kind of promote norepinephrine and dopamine release. Um, but, you know, would you drive your car pedal to the metal all throughout town all the time and then slam on the brakes or and never get an oil change. No, you wouldn't do that to your car. So should you be drinking, you know, a pot of coffee all day, every day? Probably not. Yeah, it makes sense. So I think as human beings, right, I think you can, you can talk about, I can talk about all the right things that we should do. I do feel like though people, it's unfortunate, but I feel like they respond better to, the negative aspect to make a positive of it. So in your opinion, how can not eating the right foods negatively impact mental wellness? And can diet actually contribute to issues like anxiety and depression? Okay, so scare tactics? Mm-hmm. Straightforward. Uh, well, there's some toxins out there. Uh, sugar or excess Simple carbohydrates, too much sugar. That's one of them. Um, not for everybody, but for a lot of people, some of the grains can be problematic. So uh, wheat uh, is, is probably the biggest one. 
Um, for some people that, you know, we can all have various uh, food sensitivities to, I mean, I took a test once and it was like cantaloupe, which I never eat and salmon, which I always ate and then it wheat, you know? So um, it, it really is unique to the person. Um, some, some food toxins, but sugar is pretty much terrible. Uh, too much carbohydrates kind of terrible. Uh, trans fats is, are terrible. And then the absence of, um, fruits, vegetables, in my opinion, in the book, in the mental wellness diet, um, meat products for the protein and the uh, fat soluble vitamins and the other minerals. Uh, so what happens when you eat like garbage is, is kind of the question. Yeah, well, you know, the basic answer is you can you don't feel as well. You feel kind of like garbage. Um, th there's, uh, you know, I always bring this phrase up to people and not everybody has always heard of it, but you know, the phrase, uh, Robin Peter to pay Paul, you've heard of that. I've okay, great. That. Yeah. So, uh, if, if your body doesn't have what it needs, there, there's, there's usually various forms of Robin Peter to pay Paul. Um, for example, if you eat sugar, or just maybe if you don't eat breakfast, or maybe you just had, uh, you know, like a pop tart for breakfast, that sugar will get absorbed, and you'll have fuel for, you know, 20 minutes to an hour. And then, uh, typically, you'll have some sort of an insulin response will grab that sugar out of the blood and stuff it into, you know, a fat cell or muscle cell, or it will just take it out because that's what insulin is trained to do. And so when that happens, you can have an experience where you you start off, you eat the Pop-Tart, your blood sugar goes up, and then sooner or later, your blood sugar kind of plummets, partly because it burns up quick and partly because the insulin grabs it real quick and stuffs it away. Uh, that condition can be, uh, is sometimes termed as reactive hypoglycemia. So you're reacting to the, the food and the insulin response, and then hypo means low, glycemia is blood sugar. What happens when your, your blood sugar goes too low well, if you don't eat, uh, your body really wants to bring your blood sugar back up. And uh, if, you know, eating is the first way to do it, but if you, if you don't eat or if you refuse to eat or if you're um, distracting and you don't sense those hunger signals, well, your body will go to the liver and the muscles and re release stored up uh, blood sugar in the form of glycogen, which is the storage form of uh, blood sugar. Uh, but what the key is to, that unlocks all that blood sugar is uh, often the stress hormones. So there's a hormone called glucagon that can do it, but there's also uh, adrenaline and cortisol. So if you've ever had the experience where you didn't eat breakfast and you're, you're cruising through your day and you're humming along until, you know, maybe you crash at two or maybe you make it the whole day and you feel like Superman. Well, you're not Superman. You're just running on fumes. You're just running on your stress hormones. And so an excessive release of stress hormones triggered by this poor eating habit uh, can be destructive to the body. You know, cortisol uh, will release that energy and it will make you kind of focus, but cortisol kind of promotes stress and anxiety. And the other thing that cortisol does is it turns off your immune system, you know? So then you're really, you're really kind of tearing down the body and not creating an environment where your body can recover and heal do that day in and day out and you're inviting disease. Yeah, so you touched on a lot there. So it's, and it, it makes sense. It's, it's that physical, you, you describe the whole physical reaction to it, but I can see really quickly when you mentioned about the stressors and the cortisol, how that can start to, you know, work on your mind as far as anxiety goes. And 
do you find though in your practice your mental health practice and i feel like this is pretty common unfortunately do you find patients are more willing and they come to you it's more they they'd rather just get a pill and as opposed to trying to work with you on lifestyle and diet changes i know you mentioned earlier about how hard that is but do you experience that a lot as people rather just take the quick fix the pill yeah um I would say yes, but not in, not in a in a critical way. Mm. I mean, um, if you've ever if you've ever broken a bone or if you've ever been in a lot of pain, and then you had to sit in the waiting room, it's a, you know mentally it's really difficult. You know, when when you're experiencing mental and, and emotional difficulties, depression, uh, panic attacks, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, you, you know, you are obviously you don't have all your capacities. You're not able to hear, you're not able to listen, you're not able to think your best. You're not able to kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, how am I gonna really fix this problem? You know, I, I don't think they want many people exactly want a pill, they just want an answer. And, you know, I, I can, I always understand and have a lot of compassion for that urgency. Um, so it's a, it's a slow warm up to a lot of the principles in my book. Uh, you know, I think that that speaks a lot to the human nature. I think uh, I'd add to that answer, you know, I think there's a backside to this where, um, you know, stress for us, the chronic stress of our, our, uh, of our modern day lives builds up and builds up and builds up in, in similar to how we can't notice that we're hungry because we're just running on the stress hormones all day and we don't really connect the dots that there's a problem there. Um, our minds are really amazingly powerful in their ability to repress and push down and block and distract yourselves from physical and as well, and, you know, also mental and emotional pain. And so again, you have like, if you're just running on the cortisol all day, you know, eventually the disease will build up. If you're just repressing all day and not really paying attention and not, you know, downshifting and uh, trying to address your stress or address your problems or solve your problems and just repressing, all that uh, stress and trauma will build up and then a mental illness will emerge. So Justin, if myself, if I come to you or a new patient comes to you, how, and you have, you start to have these deeper conversations just to give the audience a little bit of an idea, like how some minor things, right? Some things that they could start to do as far as changing lifestyle and some dietary choices to help them with any type of, you know, mental issue, mental illness issue, as far as anxiety, depression, things like that. Are, are there some things right off the bat that you kind of would start with, maybe start slow with to start walking them through it? Sure. Well, you know, back to that repression thing, it's universal. We all repress. I do it too. I mean, that's how I wrote a book to had to kind of push down the, the burning the candles that, uh, both end stress and the exhaustion and the fear and the self-consciousness and all of that, and just kind of push on through while still, you know, maintaining other responsibilities. I think, um, you know, the number one functional medicine intervention for my patients is therapy. You know, so when people come to see me and instead of 15 minutes, uh, it's typically sometimes a half an hour, but usually I spend the hour with patients. So it's, you know, 10 to 15 minutes talking about medication or strategizing there, but the rest is, you know, what's going on. It's, it's that creating that space for people to kind of come and dump or get it out. 
or uh, admit and acknowledge. And so, uh, you know, that relationship and that rapport and that space has to kind of be created first. Um, you know, like you said, with the cardiologist, he didn't convince you in 50 minutes. It took him 45. Yeah, it really did. And I think, and I notice what you just described though, and I can only, and I haven't been to primary care recently. I think it's probably been about two years, maybe. But the last time I was at primary care, everything seemed like it was so on that 15 minute increment, right? Doctor had you scheduled for 15, hope to get you out within 10. So you had five minutes before the next patient. And, you know, it seemed like it was more about getting through it, getting the quickest solution for you so that they could move on. But there definitely isn't, I don't think in the primary care model at this point in time, there's definitely not that, um, willingness or not, I won't even say willingness. Some doctors may want to do it. I think those also, you mentioned about burning the candles at both ends. I think sometimes our health system, they're so overworked to a point and their job is to almost see as many patients as possible. So again, I can really appreciate your approach. And I think people should maybe consider seeking out that approach. I think it would be beneficial. Um, so Justin, in your book, I, I saw in your book, you mentioned a bit about, I believe it was your grandmother. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned she lived into her nineties. Mm -hmm. I think what you said in your book was she was standing upright, cooking well into her nineties, mm -hmm. which bravo to her. Um, just, are there any, I'll call it not, are there any foods you would say, Hey, probably most people don't eat this or that, but it's very beneficial to your mental health. Is there any one or two types of foods that you would say, yeah, start trying this? Yeah, it's a philosophy, um, which is pretty common in functional medicine called nutrient density. So nutrient density is for every bite of food you take, how many uh, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, uh, essential fats, uh, and other important nutrients are jam-packed in that one bite of food. So, and then you can compare it to a Pop-Tart. Um, yeah, my grandma didn't eat Pop-Tarts. Uh, she made soups and stews and organ meats is, uh, you know, most of us find pretty gross, but the fact is they, they are, you know, on the top of the list of nutrient density. So if you manage your diet through the principle of nutrient density, you'll be eating a lot of organ meats or, you know, there's, there's plenty of like really great supplement companies out there that put in capsule forms that, you know, it's desiccated, which is dried and chopped up, put in, you get your little six little capsules, you gag for a couple minutes and then it's over. Um, you know, and then, uh, next on the list would be, you know, muscle meat of animal. We're, we're more connect, we're more uh, conditioned to eat those, uh, fish and shellfish are also up there, especially for the minerals that the brains need. Uh, shellfish are amazing. And then uh, connective tissues, again, uh, you know, they provide uh, glycine. Glycine is a really important amino acid, one of the smallest amino acids. Uh, it's healthy for the skin and blood pressure, but uh, glycine has been even studied in OCD and schizophrenia and other mental health disorders. And uh, if, you know, usually people are taking a massive dose in those studies, but it proves to be helpful. And, you know, the reason probably is that the glycine can stimulate inhibitory receptors. Mm. What does that mean? That means, um, you know, your brain has 
go signals and it has stop signals. And, you know, just like we need traffic lights and traffic cops and in your car, you need a gas pedal, you need a brake pedal to be able to steer in the direction you want. You really need the gas pedal. You can't just whip around the turns going 40 miles per hour. So you need the, you need the brake and glycine kind of supports that braking system in the brain. And so typically it's pretty good for anxiety and other conditions. Uh, so, you know, organ meats is at the top. Muscle meats is there too. Connective tissue, fish, shellfish, uh, you know, vegetables, fruits. That's pretty common sense. They're not as nutrient dense, but they are healthy. And then, um, you know, herbs and spices actually is up there too. Interesting. Uh, one, one more food category is uh, some of those, you know, the, the fruits, the vegetables, sometimes fermented foods and the herbs and spices, they all have uh, substances called flavonoids. You know, so uh, curcumin and turmeric, ECCG and green tea, uh, resveratrol and green, and green uh, grapes. These are all uh, flavonoids that actually are active in the brain and, and can help and actually have been studied for uh, various mental health conditions. And I definitely, I'm at the point now where with your book, there's definitely some things in that list that you just said that I don't eat currently that I am going to try to embark on adding some of it. Um, definitely liver stands out. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I think I can remember having liver when I was young. Yeah. I don't probably think my parents called it something else to trick me into eating it, but maybe I'll have to find out what they called it. So it'll help me get back to doing it. So, well, definitely. Thanks for that. Um, I like to ask this of people, especially in your like space and your practice, what, what's been one of the most profound experience you may have had with mental illness that, and, and how has it made its way into your patient care model? So you're asking about for me personally? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh my son is going to turn five and, uh, you know, so much, came together for me. Uh, everybody's healthy and everybody's happy and, and we're doing okay. But, um, you know, it, this was, you know, due to modern life. And I was in California and um, we had kids and our grandparents, you know, our parents weren't there. So no grandparents, you know, the, the rent's really high. Um, work is really hard. And, you, you know, it's this, uh, that hard thing about being, needing to be in two places at one time. And so, um, and, you know, both of my kids were, were colicky, which, uh, if, if you haven't experienced it, it's kind of nightmarish. And, uh, you, you know, I remember thinking to myself, like when my, uh, both of my babies were colicky and, uh, for, for probably the first six months. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is the first problem I never knew how to, I didn't know how to solve, you know? When you're a kid, you just go to school, you know, you do your best, you get decent grades, you go to college, you have fun, you get your grades, you graduate, you move on, you do your first job, they tell you what to do, it's not really hard. You know, none of that was ever really, um, no failure there. But about a little baby screaming in your ear, uh, it kind of changes you. And, and if, especially if you can't do anything about it. So, yeah, I think that was uh, maybe maybe the most familiar I've gotten with failure. Yeah. And uh, I think you would agree with this. Failure is probably our best teacher, uh, especially mm -hmm. when, especially when we're able to come out the other side of it. So that's, that's good. Um, last thing I want to ask you is 
what what's what's the toughest message you may have ever had to give and give one of your patients to try to you know get them to almost last resort that you have you ever gotten to that point where you really had to deliver a tough message and it was you were at your wits end and this was it uh no you know um you know i really like what you said about the failure piece and um you know, i wrote in my book i was just having this conversation with a patient yesterday i wrote my book uh i took a stab at uh, a four-step process to find your meaning and purpose and, and step one is, is find something in the world that bothers you you know like starving children or you know sick animals or whatever and then number two is kind of find something you can do to, to uh, do something about it, you know, find some dedication and, and you can kind of find your purpose in doing something. And then, um, you know, uh, number three is uh, make sure it's impossible to conquer, you know, something like golf or skateboarding, uh, whatever you do in life, make sure you can't win. You can never master it. It's never going to be possible. And then number four is make sure it's something that goes against the grain that bothers people that, you know, other people would never want to do. It goes you know, against what is natural for other people, but it connects with something inside of you. And that way it, it's all yours. There will be no competition for whatever it is, that purpose that you have or that meaning. And so, um, you know, it's, it's such a privilege to sit with people with their struggles. There are people tend to be of two minds. There's, there's um, the pain and then there's the wish for things to change, but then people always have this other part of them that um, maybe has an appreciation or a comfort or a familiarity or some sort of um, just, I don't know what the right word is it for, but a sort of resilience. It, it, these, are, these are their problems and they own it. And, and, and there's a kind of sometimes an odd sense of comfort with it. Thank you for that. That was, I will say that was poignant. And a lot of things you said resonate with me. Um, I say something similar, a little bit different. I say it on the show a lot, but I like to tell people that the best version of ourselves should always be the next version of ourselves, And it should always be changing because we should always be evolving to be that best person. Um, and Justin, this has been great. I really appreciate it, especially for a guy like me, uh, I feel I like to say I'm reasonably intelligent, but like having people like you, experts in your field, it really it makes me more educated. And what I'm trying to do with this podcast is motivate people, hopefully inspire people, but also I want to educate people about things that you know they may not pay attention to. And I'm not an expert in those fields, so having people like you willing to be generous with their time come on here and speak to the people about these types of things is very, very good. And I can't thank you enough. Uh, that being said, I'd like to just give you an opportunity here. How can people, you know, plug your book, website, anything like that? Yeah, great. Well, um, there's my website. My website is the best place to go. And then it has links to my blog, Instagram. Uh, and it also has uh, a free 20 page PDF ebook, which is kind of like a preview of the book. It's got five recipes in it and it will give you a flavor of what you would get if you bought the book. Um, and then pretty soon there's going to be a link for it for an audiobook. So it's in paperback now. And then probably by next week, uh, the audiobook will be available um, for download. 
uh, that's the mentalwellnessdiet.com. So www.thementalwellnessdiet.com. And so that's where you find me. That's where you get more information about my bio, uh, some of the blogs. There's a really popular blog about glycine on there that people seem to enjoy. There's a blog about blood sugar. Uh, there's a link for the book. And then there's that free download. Um, and that, that's pretty much the, the best way to find me. Great, Justin. And for the people listening and watching, you know, obviously we only have about 30 minutes here. We can't obviously get into everything, give you all the answers. But my hope is that take what you hear from Justin, from these podcasts and start to do some more research, look into the guests and check out what they're doing because it's really, really good stuff. I actually purchased the book, The Mental Wellness Diet. So I'll give it a plug there. And I, I'm enjoying it and I'm definitely going to implement some of the things in there. Uh, well, that being said, Justin, I can't, again, thank you. And I can't thank you enough. So very, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, I'm looking forward to the audio book. Uh, I personally, I like to usually get the hard copy and the audio and I like to read why I listen. Seems like I absorb it better for my, for my brain. Um, so Thanks again. And for everyone listening, please check out Justin and his book, The Mental Wellness Diet. Uh, thank you all for listening as always and take care. Bye. This has been The Bare Essentials. Thanks for listening. And remember, never hibernate on your goals. 